You're listening to The Crossroad Podcast with Joey and Kylie Willis. Through redefining effective leadership, The Crossroad Podcast explores what it means to live a life of intention and purpose. Join us as we explore the ins and outs of effective leadership and vibrant living. Hello and welcome to the fifth episode of The Crossroad Podcast. This season is called How to Lead, and so far we've been talking about the importance of leading out of your own character and leading with a mindset to influence the character of other people and empower them to live the life that they truly want and to exercise and walk in the shared vision that you have as an organization. And part of leading out of character is is being intentional about the way we use the framework of life, their hair path which starts with the there, having an intentional and clear vision that you set. And the second element of their here path is here, assessing reality. Our last episode, we started to introduce just how difficult it is to really name the truth of what is going on around us. So in this episode, we're going to dive into our first of several here tools that are practical ways to help you assess reality, to help you kind of set the game board in order to pursue the visions of your own life and the visions you're trying to influence other people towards as well. So Joe, when you talk about tools, what exactly are you talking about? So what I mean is a set of mental models and clear definitions around certain terms so that we're all on the same page about how we can effectively step towards the vision together. A lot of the things that we've discovered about leadership is that we use terms like culture, even the word leadership itself, that people have different definitions for, and we all kind of assume that everybody has the same definition that we have. And we talk about things like boundaries or perseverance, and everyone kind of has their own spin, their own idea, and some of it is circumstantially driven about what that looks like. So so these tools are meant to help us bring a sense of clarity around terms like perseverance and boundaries and unity uh, so that we can so that we can practically work towards that clear vision more effectively. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, when I think of the word tools, I always think of like, when we got first married, I was like, okay, we're going to need a circular saw and we're going to need a drill set and we're going to need a sander. And so thinking about these things, these are the things that are in our tool belts in order to help us create something within our marriage that is better, within the organization that we work and lead in, um, and within our culture. And so these mental models are your sander. They are your hammer. They are the things that help us, that we can grab onto and help us like build the thing that we are going after and trying to create. Um, And they help us to do it together. So you can have a hammer. I can have a hammer. I can teach you how to use the circular saw, which we're actually going to be doing later on today. Um, And when we do this, we're actually able to come together um, around a common goal and create something. 
um, that is worth creating uh, and that is so much bigger than we could have created if we didn't have these tools to help us. Um, so they really help us to def- redefine effective leadership in the way that we um, use language within our relationships, within our workspaces and on our teams and things like that. So the first tool that we're using is called the Freedom V, and it's about bringing a sense of clarity to our expectations and boundaries and the consequences for going outside of those boundaries. And for those of you who might be visual people, you can go to thecrossroad.net and see an image of the Freedom V as we talk about it, which is going to be true for all of the tools we do throughout this series. One of the reasons that Freedom V is important is because leaders are tasked with the responsibility of establishing, maintaining, reinforcing, and whenever it's necessary, changing culture. Uh, We talked in some of our previous episodes about how we define effective leadership as influencing others to get there. Influencing is a thing that changes culture in an organization. The opposite of that is changing behavior, which only happens through control. So effective leaders can't control behavior. They can influence culture. And so today we're going to start talking about how we can most effectively influence the cultures that we participate in. And as we've said multiple times in these episodes, that starts with yourself, with exercising these tools in your own life and in your own character, and then bringing them to the broader communities to which you belong. So in order for a leader to lead effectively, the best strategy is to empower and equip a self-governing organization and establish a culture that is dependent on self-governance. So we define self-governance as the power to make choices, set boundaries, and steward responsibility without a dependency on external forces. So, Joe, why do we want a self-governing culture? Well, I think we want a self-governing culture because it's the most effective way for us to achieve the missions that we're after. So let me give an example. If I am the head, if I'm the CEO of an organization and my vision is to change the world by um, helping to solve the crisis of uh, poverty, And everything that I do, everything that I think about is to try to achieve that vision. Let's even say that that my vision is not so noble. My vision is just to make the most money possible. And everything I'm doing is I'm just thinking about how I can make the most money possible, how I can, you know, turn $1 into two and two into two million. If I am like waking and sleeping, thinking about this vision, the most effective way to lead others into joining me in that vision is to empower them. I can't go to people and say, you have to do what I tell you to, or I'm going to fire you. Because what all, what that does is just create people who show up and do a job from nine to five and really end up doing the minimal that there is required of them in order to get their paycheck. And as soon as they leave work, they're done. They're not going to think about it. They're not going to consider it anymore. So the opposite of that is if I can really empower the people around me to join me in that vision, they're not just going to be thinking about the vision while uh, they're clocked in in the office. They're going to be thinking about it when they're in line to get a bagel, when they're walking through the grocery store, 
And the reason for that is because they'll have a sense of ownership in the vision. It's not my vision. It's now our vision. And so when we share vision, we empower everyone who participates in the organization to be a co-owner and to exercise their own self-governance, their own ability to be motivated, to desire things, to want things. So people are then doing things for their own sake and not just for the sake of somebody who is telling them what they should do or what they have to do. And so the power of that is that we exponentially increase our effectiveness. We become better workers. We become better uh, people if we have good and honest and noble visions that we're pursuing together. Uh, we become greater than the sum of, of our parts. Uh, but the irony is that as a leader, you only get there by kind of letting go. You can't control that. You can empower and try to encourage and equip other people to join you in that mission. But people have to exercise their own agency in order for it to be a meaningful and a truly effective uh, endeavor. So the, the things that Joey has just talked about are three characteristics that come from having a self-governing culture, which is unity of mission, ownership of roles within the organization, and effectiveness at actually creating and getting things done. Um, so the next question that comes to mind is, how do you create a self-governing culture? Um, and it's really simple, but also really hard at the same time. Um, and so there are three things that you need to do in order to create a self-governing culture. Um, you need to create expectations for people. Um, what do you expect from people within their roles? What time do you expect them to come into work? People need boundaries and they need consequences for when they go outside of those boundaries in order to be able to understand that this is the way that our organization works. And so that's those are the things that I'm going to do. Um, that's what culture is all about. So the idea that we create expectations and boundaries that have consequences attached to them if we go outside of those boundaries creates a structure for people to live by. And when we have structure in front of us, it actually demands behavior. Um, if we are committed to the vision, then we are going to follow the structure that is placed in front of us in order to make sure that we don't get shamed in the culture that we're in. Um, because when you follow the structures that are set before you, uh, like we had talked about in the first episode, the idea of culture is like the consensus between what is shameful and what is honorable, it is honorable for us to stay within the structures that are created for us to follow through with the expectations that are given to us within our organization. Uh, and when we don't do that, it's shameful. And so the whole idea of this Freedom V, this tool that we use that is shaped exactly how it sounds, like a V, um, is that we use it as a vehicle to move along the path towards our there. Um, and so at the bottom of the Freedom V um, are just like if you picture a V in your head, um, at the bottom of the V, the boundaries are really tight and the walls of the V represent boundaries out every all of the space within the V is 
you're free to do whatever you want within that space. But depending what your hierarchy is on the V, whether you're higher up in the V or you're lower down, your boundaries will be tighter or wider. Anything outside of those boundaries, outside of the walls of the V, is the land of consequence. And so essentially, if you step over the line, if you go outside of the expectations that have been created for you, then we want to have consequences set up in order to teach us to live within the boundaries that are given to us. Uh, Consequences don't exist simply to punish us for bad behavior. Consequences exist in order to drive behavior. And we'll talk about this more in the next episode when we talk about how to lead others using the Freedom V. But essentially, I go outside the boundaries of the Freedom V, something needs to happen in order to bring me back into the boundaries, right? And so as a parent, you might discipline your child to teach them not to do something that isn't good for them. Um, Someone at work who is showing up late every single day, there's going to have to be some consequences. There's going to have to be a conversation that is had with them in order to ensure that they're actually following the structures and the expectations that have been given to them uh, in order to make sure that we have a healthy workplace culture and we are all um, pursuing the mission together uh, and are on the same page, that we're unified. Um, So narrow boundaries are tight boundaries that are in place with little freedom to move and pretty close oversight. And so somebody at the bottom of the Freedom V would be uh, a child. Um, It would be someone who's brand new to a job and isn't quite sure how the organization works yet. Um, It's someone who is brand new to a team and is learning the rules of the sport, right? And so they're going to have tight boundaries and a lot of oversight and instruction in order to make sure that they're learning how this works. And then as you move up the Freedom V, what happens is the boundaries widen. And when you demonstrate an ability to navigate the boundaries, more freedom is given, right? Because you understand what the expectations are. And so you are given the freedom to live within those expectations in whatever way works best for you. Um, Because we're all different and we all have different ways of working. We all have different ways of relating. We all have different ways of um, getting the job done. And so what the Freedom V does is it gives people um, the understanding of expectations so that at some point in time, I no longer have to watch you and tell you what to do because you know what the expectations are and you are able to actually self-govern within the boundaries that are given to you. Um, And if you fail... If you go outside of the boundaries, a consequence of that is that your boundaries are tightened, right? And so you move back down the freedom V. um, And that's what a consequence is there for. It's to teach you how to live inside the boundaries that are given to you. Um, And once you have developed a proficiency for that, you have all the freedom in the world to be able to do your job because you are taking ownership of your role. And then the organization can work more effectively. Um, So Joe, um, another thing that comes from the Freedom V that is so, so helpful is that it depersonalizes things. Um, Can you explain that a little bit more and get into why this language and mental model is so helpful for depersonalizing 
expectations, boundaries, consequences, and all the works? Well, I think the reason that this is important and very helpful for us is because, as we've said before, the here is about assessing reality. So we have to come to grips with the reality that consequences are a thing. Mm. <laughs> and so I think what when we think about freedom, when we talk about freedom, when we conceptualize freedom in our own lives, a lot of what we're considering is we should be able to do what we want without any consequences. Mm. And I think there's a difference between just and unjust consequences. And unjust consequences are certainly oppressive and are an infringement on our freedom. But just consequences are just the way life works. And so the freedom fee is helpful because it is setting up the reality. It's a mental model to show us that the things we do have consequences. And not all of them are, this is just natural law. Not all of the consequences we encounter are things that are brought upon us by our institution or by some external forces. So, for example, if I were to, um, if I were to drink very heavily by myself alone in the apartment on some weekend when Kylie's out of town and nobody ever finds out about it, I still have to face the consequences. I still have to wake up feeling drunk. I may wake up and not know what happened the night before. So, even people who like quote unquote get away with adultery or uh, lying uh, and nobody like finds out and holds them accountable in any real like tangible sense, those people still have to face the consequences of that feeling that you get when you just know you've done something wrong. So the consequences may just be internal realities, internal reactions to the things that we do that we shouldn't do and we know we shouldn't do. And so if I were to cheat on Kylie and have an affair, even if she never finds out, having to walk around with that shame and that like secrecy and having to keep up the charade over, all, all the time over and over again is a consequence I would have to face and a weight that I would have to carry around with me. So what's valuable about the Freedom V is that it acknowledges this reality. It acknowledges that there are boundaries and there are consequences, whether we like them or not. And yes, of course, humans come in and apply this unjustly and in ways that are wrong. But we also, within our own self, just have an unjust and wrong uh, internal narrative. I want other people to be a lot more accountable to me than I'm prepared to be to them. Hmm. That's just the way that it is. I want to get away with kind of as much as I can possibly get away with. But I want everybody else to do the job as, as best they should, as perfect as possible. And so we get these imbalanced scales where we measure ourselves differently than we measure other people. And so when Kylie is mentioning how this tool can depersonalize the idea of boundaries and consequences, uh, that's what she means is that it is a way for us to say like, look, this is not about like you and your identity. This is not me saying that like who you are is bad or what you've done is awful. This is not some judgment, some eternal judgment on your character or your personhood. This is just an acknowledgement of boundaries that have been crossed and the consequences that are the natural result of those boundaries. So it becomes less of a personality issue and more of an issue of assessing truth and evaluating reality and taking that for what it's worth. And when we have a culture 
of that within our organization, we're actually able to just have these conversations with each other that say like, we can say, was this the expectation that I gave you for your job? Yes or no? Like, yes. Okay. Then why didn't you follow through with the expectation? It's not about like, this is who you are. Like Joey said about identity. This is more just about like addressing behaviors that are not acceptable, either within the marriage or the workplace or the family, um, or even within friendships and relationships, whatever it is. This is about us discovering truth together and being able to say like, okay, what is acceptable behavior and how can I move along that path without having somebody micromanage me or check in with me every other second to make sure I'm doing what they expect me to. And another reason this is valuable is because it funnels us towards our vision. You know, we work with college students every day and they are so like adverse to boundaries in certain ways. They And mostly it ends up, they don't want to say no to anything. Hmm. And so because of that, they're spread too thin and they've lost a sense of true vision where they're really aiming. They're just kind of saying yes to everything that comes up because they're afraid of missing out on an opportunity. And the danger of that is that we lose a sense of focus. We lose a sense of surety, a sense of clarity about where we're going. So these boundaries can also help us to unify and coalesce around the mission that's been stated and the vision that we're properly pursuing. Yeah, um, a really great boundary, um, a really great example of a boundary that we use at the college is the dress code. The college actually has a business casual dress code that is expected of every student who comes to the school. Every employee at the school is expected to wear business casual, and we communicate this to them as the idea that we are training you for the professional world. We are training you to work in business and um, to influence the culture around you. And the first way that you can do that is with your physical appearance. And so we want to get our students into the habit of wearing business casual on a regular day so they're much more prepared when they graduate from school to just automatically step into the workplace ready to um, ready to influence through their professional attire. Um, our producer actually, Jonathan, is sitting right outside of the studio right now, and I he went to the King's College, and I'm pretty sure he is not wearing business casual today, um, <laughs> but it's also not a standard that our organizational culture holds him to. And so um, it's a really great boundary because it's clearly stated. Um, the expectations are clearly communicated to the students. They agree to it. They know that it's an expectation when they come into the college. And um, and we're actually able to have conversations with them. Um, we don't always want to be wearing skirts and pumps and dress pants and blouses and ties and um, and students will sometimes push the limits. Um, they will try to get away with wearing sneakers or black jeans um, mm. or T-shirts uh, with a with a blazer over top of it um, and try to call that business casual, even though they know that it's pushing the line of what they're actually, they have been communicated that they can wear. Uh, and so we actually get to have, I have conversations with the women in the house that I advise all the time. Like, is that business casual? Is that denim skirt something that is part of the dress code? Or are you out? And they get to wrestle with that. Uh, and some of them get a little bit mad at me and upset with me 
uh, because I've called them out and they know I've called them out, but they want to get away with it. Um, but what it does is it actually like brings them to conviction. I've had conversations with women who are in the house that I advise and I've said like, hey, look, you're in student leadership and you are influencing the rest of the people around you. And when you choose to wear black jeans because you're in leadership, other students look at you and say, oh, if she wears black jeans, then I can wear jeans too. And so everything that you do has cause and effect, right? It has an impact. And um, let me tell you, this one student that I confronted last year on the dress code, I just heard a couple of weeks ago from her. She's like, I accepted it when you told it to me, and I didn't tell you how angry I was with you (laughs) because you had confronted me on this thing, but now I am actually realizing the effects of my behavior and how it influences the other people around me. Um, And so, like, even though I was upset at first because I didn't want to fall into line and I really enjoy wearing black jeans to school... um, I recognize how it influences other people and how other people then start to step outside of the boundaries as well. So um, the Freedom V is a tool that we can use to help guide people back into the expectations um, that have been set uh, so that they can then make choices to self-govern themselves. Joey, do you want to talk a little bit about parenting and how we can use the Freedom V in parenting our children? Yeah, absolutely. This is actually, Kylie started it earlier, but it's my favorite example of this. And and we've discovered it's one of the most uh, universally accepted ways that, that we talk about this. People are like, oh, yep, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> um, so as we've been saying all along, the idea here is that boundaries and consequences for going outside of those boundaries are a reality. And so think about your vision as a parent. Your vision is about not just like having a well-behaved baby or toddler the vision of a of a parent is to train a child so that they are best postured to be a responsible good adult that loves people well and uh contributes to the organizations that they participate in and so with that end in mind, you set tight boundaries around your your toddler. Why? Because they need to be alive in order to be a good citizen. <laughs> and so tight boundaries in parenting include things like you're not going to you're going to watch your your toddler and not let them just run across the street without you jumping in. And the reason for that is you're kind of give, you're showing them the reality of boundaries. This is dangerous. You've got to stop and look both ways and until you're ready to do that, I am going to be the one who needs to to watch out for you. And then as that toddler grows up and becomes a teenager, you start to widen the boundaries a little bit. They've learned some of what you've taught them about how the world works. And so you allow them a little bit of leeway for some self-expression, ex- some self-exploration, while still not abandoning them to their own immaturity and to the dangers of the world. So you might send out your teenager and say like, okay, you know, you can go, you can be with your friends, but there are some boundaries such as one, I need you to call me every time you get somewhere so that I know where you are. And two, you have to be home at a certain time. This is your curfew. But within those wider boundaries, it's way wider than a toddler where you're watching them every minute. 
within those boundaries, the teenager can do what they want and can explore decision making and and the life that they that they want to live. And the whole point of this is that eventually your teenager is going to become an adult who's going to go off to college and and into the world beyond. And once a child gets to that point, gets to adulthood, their boundaries are even more wide. Um, it's less about your parenting and more about just like the boundaries of society. You know, you, you can't break the law. Otherwise, someone's coming for you. And I remember for me, it was really like odd and disorienting and shocking when I got to college and my alarm like went off in the morning and it was like, ain't nobody going to be mad if I don't go to class today. <laughs> like mom and dad aren't even going to know. I could just go back to sleep and not show up to class and and nobody's holding me accountable. Uh, of course, I skipped a couple of classes. It starts to affect my grade and I start to realize that there are consequences still. So again, the whole idea is that you're parenting this child towards adulthood so that when they get into that spot where they're alone and their alarm goes off and nobody's watching them, they've seen and, and have gotten practice with boundaries so that they can understand how to work most effectively in them. So if, if we're talking about the arms of the that freedom V being the boundaries that are set in place by external forces, what we're really hoping for is that that child turned adult will actually set their own boundaries a little bit tighter and a little bit smaller within the boundaries of society so that they're not just pecking around the, the arms of societal's boundaries, but they start to recognize like, hey, it might be illegal to do X, Y, or Z. And so obviously I don't want to go outside of those boundaries, but really knowing myself as a person and through what I've experienced, I know that I need to hold to even tighter boundaries. And that's what self-governance is really about, about individuals owning and taking stewardship of their own lives so that they set up their own boundaries, a tighter sense of boundaries and the real irony that we have a hard time in America accepting is that ownership of boundaries actually enhances our freedom because mm -hmm. we put the limitations on ourselves that are necessary to keep away some of those internal consequences like shame and regret and confusion and lack of clarity around our vision. So that's why self-governance is the most effective strategy for the cultures that we establish in organizations. Because when people take ownership of their own boundaries, their own choices, the way they want to steward their lives, they become even more focused, more intentional about doing the things that are required in order to achieve the mission of their lives, in order to be the responsible and mature adults that their parents longed for when they were just babies. And so the Freedom V for a parent is about how can I usher a child to become a man or a woman who takes ownership of their own life and their own boundaries. And that's, an ex that's a microcosm of what leadership is all about. Leadership is about using boundaries not as a strong arm tactic to control people's behavior, but as a depersonalized mental model to help empower and influence people towards taking ownership of their own life and their own set of boundaries for the betterment of not only themselves, but the communities to which they belong. Yeah, the Joe and I talk all the time about 
with individuals, with students about the three things you can control. And the idea of self-governance is that you can only control yourself. I can't actually control Joe or the things that he does or the choices he makes. I can influence him but not control him. And someone who is free to make their own choices and steward their own behavior is going to be more creative. They are going to be more motivated within the organization um, because they feel like they have the freedom to express themselves as and use their gifts to the best of their ability to actually help the mission of the organization forward. Um, and so if if we are creating a culture in our organization that is about others' governance, where I'm trying to coerce you into um, doing things in order to further my vision instead of in order to further our vision, it's actually going to be a pretty unhealthy organizational culture and dynamic um, where people are only doing things because they have to and not because they want to. And we want to have organizations where people are bought in and are using the talents, the gifts, and the passions that are inside of them to help create create something that is wonderful and worth creating. That's why we want to spread these tools and have people and organizations like understand the value of being able to self-govern and what it looks like to contribute to a culture, the things that you have. This is like the perfect lead into the next episode. The next episode, we're actually going to be talking about, um, how to lead people using the freedom fee. And in order to do that, we're actually going to talk about some of the things that we talked about in the last episode with Dave Kuhnert, um, where we talked about uh, the leadership styles and the types of influence and how we use these uh, with the framework of the freedom fee in order to lead other people towards um, being self-governing. So we are really excited about this next conversation. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening to the Crossroad Podcast. The world is out there waiting for you to become the best leader you can possibly be. We hope our conversations have helped. For more, please visit our website, thecrossroad.net.